Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I am Anna Nasset, and I am the host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. And today on the show, we have Taylor Fontaine, a survivor and brave voice here in our state to talk about how she began telling our, her story. Thank you so much for being here, Taylor. Yeah, thank you. So as you know, the show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge our healing process and provide resources not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. And today we are going to be looking at some of those, including how we tell our stories. I always want to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing but with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story that is related to sensitive subject matter, crime, discuss our mental health, or have other sensitive matter. We urge you to listen at your own discretion. As I said today on the show, we have a return guest, one of my first return guests, um, Taylor Fontaine. She was born and raised in Vermont and is an alum of Champlain College, where she graduated with a bachelor's in early childhood and elementary education. Formerly a teacher, she now has found a passion in social work. She currently works with families and is involved with the um, Department of Children and Families through a variety of services offered with the programs. She works to support, educate, and empower families in building a safety within their families. To listen to her full story, please take a listen to Season 3, Episode 4 of The Mend to learn more about her. So Taylor, welcome so much. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to get to connect with you. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, I'm thrilled to have you back. Um, how have you been in this last year since you were last on the show? And what work have you been doing to elevate your voice and other survivors' voices? I've been good. I've been very, very busy doing a lot of different things, but, you know, busy in the best way. Um I've been working very closely with the center on different projects that I don't think I'm able to quite share just yet, but it is to, you know, keep all victims and survivor voices at the forefront. Um, and I'm pretty excited about um, the projects that we've been working on and excited for them to eventually, eventually come to life. I'm excited to collaborate with you on one of the, the secret <laughs> <Me> projects. <too. laughs> Gosh, we have to be for now, but yeah, just so mysterious. I love it. Um, but I'm so glad that you're really engaging with the center and doing work. And you and I had an ability to collaborate um, this spring with the Vermont Victims Assistance Academy. And it's just mm -hmm. always a pleasure to see how you have transformed the experience um, that you went through as a child into such a voice of change uh, within our state. And I'm say within our country too. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So today we wanted to chat about that. Um, it is, you know, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It is Child Sexual Abuse Awareness Month. We have mm -hmm. National Crime Victims Rights Week coming up at the end of this month. And a large part of this month um, is a lot about storytelling. So can you tell our listeners what first motivated you or how you felt called to share your story? Yeah. Um, I really don't know what totally motivated me because I was kind of, I wouldn't say pushed into it, but, um, encouraged to share it after I wrote about it in a 
my paper in a child psychology class. It was all discussing like about how your childhood was, how it shaped you into who you are. Um, and I went back and forth with, should I write about this? Should I not? And then I was like, yeah, I need to. Like, this is really what did make a huge impact and I need to share it. And once I wrote it, my professor was like, I really want you to share this. I think it's important as long as you're comfortable with it. And I was like, all right, let's, let's, you know, do it. I mean, I went back and forth, like, do I want to do this? My first year of college, I don't really want to be known as the girl that was assaulted at a sleepover anymore. I was ready for that fresh start, but then something in my gut really told me, like, you need to share that, like, childhood isn't all rainbows and butterflies for everyone, Mm -hmm. and, you know, traumatic things do happen to people in their childhood, and it does affect them for the rest of their lives, so I went with that gut feeling that was, like, it's time to, like, share this and, you know, get it out there, and I'm glad I did because it really sparked my voice, Um, that one little push from my professor I'm, you know, really grateful for, so... Yeah, I was really glad I did it. Mm, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, like I know for me, kind of similar, like I got a little push when I attended the Vermont Victims Assistance Academy back in 2017, 2018, and yeah. had never thought about telling my story and mm-hmm. was sitting in with the, uh, the former educational coordinator, Andrea Van Lu, And she's like, why did you want to move into victim service work? Like, and I was like, well, you know, there's this little thing that nobody knows <laughs> about. <laughs> and she asked yeah. me if I would consider speaking on a panel. And I was like, um, no, I don't speak, but now I do. <laughs> and we've never shut push. up. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yes. You just need that one push and it's, it's something to be grateful for, you know? Yeah. Um, like one of the things I found that I just resonated with you, you said, you know, like, I didn't want to be the girl who was assaulted as a child at a sleepover anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something I kind of wrestle with too, is like, so often people are like, oh, you're Anna the stalking speaker or you're Anna the stalking survivor. And mm-hmm. do you feel like you're still identified with that? Because I know for myself, yes, this is my work. This is what I do professionally. But I feel like I'm so much more than that. And I feel mm-hmm. like through doing this work, I'm just such a different person. Mm-hmm. And that's not what identifies me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that does make sense. I feel like it was something that I was identified as and with for a really long time. But as I, you know, continued to use my voice and grow, I was realizing like that's really a small part of me, even though it was such a big thing that happened. Um, and it did shape me into a lot of who I am, but mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, I mean, yes, identify as a survivor, but also like I am so much more just like you said. So yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely, you know, you go through the the process of healing and um letting go and you know, just grieving it and moving forward. And then using it to create change and help others yeah. understand these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, how do you prepare to tell your story or what work have you done in preparing? Like, you know, you wrote this paper and then people mm-hmm. started to ask you to speak and things of that nature. So how have you prepared yourself for stepping into those public spaces? Yeah. Um, 
like I wrote a paper the first time it helps me to like write it down kind of a speech um tailor it to the different audiences I'm speaking to like if it's to create change for a law or if it's just to bring awareness kind of um share it in different ways that I know will speak to the audience that I'm speaking to um and just practicing practicing it then make changes to it and then also just make sure I have a plan of self-care because I know as soon as you it's so empowering to share it but it's also this emotional release afterwards and just making sure that I have that plan for myself afterwards is really what gets me through it absolutely yeah I mean it is like you know in the way you were speaking about it like you know you write about it you practice it you edit it you cater it to each person to each group mm-hmm. like it's a job right it's a job yep. to go in and do that work <laughs> and yes yeah. the fallout um I know for myself like I go everywhere from needing to immediately crawl into bed and go to sleep to mm-hmm. wanting to like see my friends and celebrate like it's mm-hmm. really anywhere in between and I allow for that yep yeah you got to feel however feel it and listen to your body for sure yes yeah and identify <laughs> that to I think to the people that are bringing you in as well is important. Something yeah. I found is being able to say like, you're like, oh, do you want to do dinner afterwards? I'm like, I don't know if I will. Maybe, yeah. but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> I'm learning to get better at that very slowly, but <laughs> just having a conversation about that earlier today. Um, yeah. So for right now, what venues and spaces have you shared your story in and how have you felt like it's been received? Yeah, I, I've shared it a lot of different places. I've shared it um, like in trainings for police officers and victim advocates. Um, I shared it with other survivors, my college classroom. Um, I shared it in legislature, um, on the news, uh, a lot of different places and a lot of different venues. And um I would say for the most part, it has been received very well and has helped spark change or um, just bring awareness. Um, But I also recognize that sometimes people can, uh, the impact of my story is positive or negative um, on some people. And then, you know, that's out of my control when I share it on that public level. Um, I really just tell myself how people feel about what I've shared is more about them and not me because this is my truth. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's sometimes it does get to me, but I also just remember, you know, this is my truth. This is what happened to me and, um, they'll take it. However, however they feel they need to take it. Absolutely. I love it. It is. It's about them. It's not about us. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I know that something I thought a lot about as I, you know, started to go out and speak was really had to sit and think like okay what can the response be to this like am I opening Mm -hmm. myself up to more potential harm by going Mm -hmm. out and speaking um especially on a subject like stalking and had to really go deep with that before I decided to to move into this more outspoken place and in the end decided that one the more who know I the safer I am and Mm -hmm. also that the good my story could do outweighed the negative I might take in. And so, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
Yep. So when I get those crappy emails every now and then from some creep or whatever, they just go into a file that's labeled creepers. (laughs) They stay in case if we ever need that. Yep. (laughs) I mean, I think I, as weird as it is to say, having been stalked for over a decade, I know how to like keep everything. And so I just have done that. And, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the few negative comments I've gotten over the years, the good has so much more outweighed that. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. So when preparing your story, like you said, you you cater it to each audience, whoever you're with. Um, but what elements of each story, each time you tell your story, do you find to be the most impactful? And also what details should be told and should be left out? Yeah, um, I think... Uh, this is like a really tough question for me. I think, I think as I've shared my story, um, I've recognized that you don't need to put all the details of what happened that night or what led up to it, um, in, in your, in your speech or your story or sharing it simply just saying like, I was drugged and sexually assaulted at a sleepover is like, enough to catch people's attention Mm -hmm. um I just I recognize that focusing on you know the impact and not all the details of the events um really catch people's eyes and just being like this is what happened this is how it affected me and this is why I'm asking for change three simple things that I just remember each time um yeah, it definitely turns people's heads and makes them really listen because if you add all those details in there, people are going to either be really invested invested in it or they're going to kind of turn turn off their hearing to it and not hear the part that you're really wanting them to hear, which is the part of bringing awareness and asking for change. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's so true. Like at first I know I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you every single detail. It's like, well, no. That's not the point. Like, mm-hmm. yes, this was done to me, but I don't necessarily want to give him any more space. Yeah. What I do want to talk about is the incredible people who have helped me along the way, how this has, you know, how you can do that as well within your agency or your department, all of those things mm-hmm. that create the change. And then mm-hmm. also, I think like we live in an age where people become so voyeuristic over the gorier details and the yep. more salacious or sexual things. And so I just feel like that takes away from the learning. And it sounds like you feel the same way. Yeah, that and I recognize that as you're continuing to heal, sometimes you remember more things that you didn't remember in the past. And then sometimes when you're remembering more things and share those things, people start, you know, get second guessing you, even though you're recognizing this is my truth. But mm-hmm. uh, just sharing as as blunt but as little as possible really does go far away yeah well you just brought up a great point like that's something I now try and say if I'm doing like my case study I say like look I may have told this done this study done this training a gajillion times Mm -hmm. but it's still my story and I still am the victim and survivor of it so Mm -hmm. I may get things out of order occasionally whatever it might be because I'm still processing this and always will be. And I'm happy to come out and share this with you. And 
but it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Like even I just finished writing my book and I was like, as I had to go back through all the evidence for the first time in a long time, I was like, yep. oh my gosh, I had this in this order and this over here, but it actually mm-hmm. went here. And, but yeah, yeah. people do kind of go like, well, then what's the truth? It's like, well, no, this, this is the truth. It's all there. Yeah, it is the truth. I, I have similar experiences where, you know, my mom was right in it with me from that night till the, till now, of course. Um, and she remembers a lot more than I do. And sometimes she's like, you don't, you don't remember that. And I'm like, you know, trauma does funny things. It blocks a lot of things out. So no, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think it's, it's good when we can tell the audience that up front, like, Hey, Mm -hmm. look, this is this is what it's like to be in my brain um (laughs) yeah so within like stuff like that being able to you know speak to the audience and ask that like what other support do you need in order to do this work to go out and talk like we talked a little bit about self-care but what are some of the other things like maybe you wish you'd asked for in the past or that you're starting to ask for now yeah Um, I know that if it wasn't for therapy, my friends and family, the partner I have, and, um, you know, a good book to dive into, I definitely wouldn't be able to do what I do, like surrounding myself with people that support me, um, surrounding myself with people like you that have kind of a similar vision, um, seeking out different supports with, um, like the crime, the center, um, advocates, uh, definitely finding things that are making you happy and empowered and kind of get you through, um, and feel safe have definitely helped support me in, in this, this journey of telling my story. (laughs) Love it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It is really like what we have on that back end. And Mm -hmm. as you know, right now I'm traveling, speaking a lot for sexual assault awareness month, and it's just, you know, the friend's who texts me every other day and check in, like, are you okay? How are you feeling? Are you homesick? Have you eaten? Like, have you drank enough water? (laughs) Like all of those (laughs) things are really important um, to being able to keep doing that work. So I think that's Mm -hmm. such a great thing. So one of the things that you've done that's really amazing is you've testified for legislators and Mm -hmm. what special considerations should survivors think of and prepare for within working in that environment? Cause it is different than going into a, you know, a police department or an advocacy center, like it's a different world. So what special considerations would you recommend for that? Yeah. Um, I think I spoke to it a little bit earlier, but it's just being really concise and to the point. Um, and, you know, sharing what the law or whatever is happening, how that affects you as a victim or a survivor, um, and clearly state like what you're asking for. Because if you're not clear and concise with it, they're not going to understand like what what you're needing or what your your ultimate goal is. And I know just being really clear about the change I was asking for. Um, really helps when, um, you know, speaking with them and trying to make change. Absolutely. Was that something like you would advise like someone like being able to have a paper they can read off of, or did you kind of mm-hmm. just go stream of conscious? 
No, I, I am a, have to write it all down and make sure I don't forget really big points that I, because I mean, as much as I've done a lot of speaking, I hate public speaking (laughs) and sometimes I freeze. So, you know, especially on a big level like that, where, um, you're really trying to make a difference and even just writing a couple like point words down or writing it all out really helped me and like highlighting those words that I really wanted to you know, push for and, um, you know, whatever really works for you when you're speaking, but that's definitely something that has helped me. Um, yeah. Awesome. Do you ever like look at or watch other speakers like Ted talks or the moth, for instance, who like, you know, all about storytelling. Do you ever listen to those to kind of get some tips or whatever? Yeah, I do that. And I also like listening to a lot of podcasts where like, they're trying to make change for different things and, um, or, you know, just trying to recognize like what they do. They probably do something similar where they have something written down and they just talk about it and. Oh, you mean like the script I'm reading off of right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really key is like everything we do within this work, it it is work first off mm-hmm. and it is different. So something like this, the show, like I'll have a script where I can, you know, intro you and have questions. And other times I can go and speak without a script. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do need to have it done. And I think really listening to your intuition with whatever that is and that mm-hmm. your audience is going to respond whether you need a piece of paper or not, they're going to be right there with you. That's a great point. Yes. So within (laughs) storytelling, how has it felt to know that your voice and your story has helped create change, like legal change, um, but also (laughs) change within, you know, how police are responding or advocates are like, you're creating real tangible change within our state. And how does that feel? Honestly, I can't even share like what it feels like. Sometimes it still feels pretty unbelievable to even to me. <laughs> um, but I also recognize like this isn't something a lot of people do. Um, I mean, it is a lot of people do share their story, but it uh, to other people, they're like, wow, you're my hero. And I'm like, oh, I'm just sharing my truth like doing my um, thing (laughs) yep just doing my thing and you know I think where it matters the most to me is when I really feel heard and I do make that change one way or another um even if it's like an impact farther down the road than the immediate one um that's the most empowering part about it all is like feeling heard and um being able to have the opportunity to make change too Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I I was saying the other day in a training, I was like, you know, I'm not looking to be a boulder plopped into a pond. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a pebble and just kind of create those ripples. And so much of this work that we're doing by going out and training and educating and creating awareness is work that we'll never see in our lifetime. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like that's totally fine because our grandmothers did that. And, you know, every, like that's, that's the way this works is we're, we're building for a better future. And yeah. And yes, it's nice to have the accolade in the moment, but it's, it's really cool when you can see something happen that maybe you spoke about five years ago and you're like, 
oh hey yeah, <laughs> yeah really satisfying. that and I really like that analogy of like the pebble um because I think about like you can share your story in front of a huge giant audience and your story has made at least a difference for at least one person um mm-hmm. out of that I don't know 100 people there um and like that to me is a success <laughs> um if it can you know one out of a hundred like that that me sharing what has happened and um that to me just you know even makes a very little difference but yeah. it still has made a difference <laughs> and I think so often like within this work then it's you know we have those conversations where someone comes to us and may share their story for the first time and they're not looking mm-hmm. to share it in front of a hundred people they may mm-hmm. never need to that's not like that's not everyone's journey and there's a lot of reasons behind why we do this work but even just that audience of one is changing us when they share and hopefully you know doing this work has made them feel comfortable enough to come and open up to us and that's a really incredible gift it is I know when I shared my story that first time in that class I did have somebody come up to me and say never shared this with anybody but here's my story and just that like made me realize like for the longest time I felt like I was alone like I was the only one and just that one time sharing it and having somebody share something back that they've never shared before made me recognize like I'm not alone in this it was disheartening because then I realized it does happen a lot more often than we know but it also was like I'm not alone in this and other people do understand and yeah Yeah. I love that. Yes. (laughs) Well, what would you suggest to the victims and survivors listening today that do choose, do want to share their story in public places? Because a lot of, a lot of people don't. And, you know, like we were just saying, like, there's a lot of work to be done around considering if you want to step out into that public place or not. But what would you advise to people who do want to go and do this type of work? I definitely would say make sure you um, have your tribe around you, just like we were saying, like have those people that are going to empower you and um, as well as just like listening to you and your body. Like if you're like, yeah, I want to do this. And then when push comes to shove, you're just not ready yet. Like you don't need to do it if you're not, if your body's saying like, yeah, I'm not ready. Um, But I also think like if you do agree to share it, make sure you have that support. Um, make sure, you know, you're you're ready and um just know that as soon as you put it out there in the public, it is out there. But at the same time, like it's very empowering. And like we said before, um you might have a couple of those bad apples that don't receive it in the way that you're hoping, but there's so many more good apples that are, that are listening to, to your story and wanting to cheer you on and um, help you make change too. Absolutely. I love that. And I would follow (laughs) up with like, really, really sit and think about why you want to share. What is, what is your Mm -hmm. motivation for doing that? Um, I know it was something I really sat and did a lot of writing with and just going like, okay, what's, what I am being asked to do this thing. That's fine. But why do I say yes? Why do I say no? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at both those sides and 
coming to that's the conclusion so true. of that. Yeah. So I do think like, you know, for all of us who are victims and survivors, there's so many ways to be involved in this work mm-hmm. and it might mm-hmm. be through sharing your story, but there's just a myriad out of ways to be able to, to engage with other victims and survivors and yeah, I'm excited to collaborate with you with that secret project of ours. <laughs> on <Same>. just <laughs> so as we wind down today, um, as I started out at the beginning saying this is National Crime Victims Rights Week is coming up. And in fact, this episode may air during that. Um, <laughs> can you share with me what that means for you? What that week means for you? Yeah, Um it means a lot for me just because I know it's the opportunity to spotlight victims and continue to make steps to making things better for victims. Um, it makes me pretty hopeful that like that that one week to spotlight that um, makes me hopeful for the, the future of victims and um, just getting the opportunity to be a part of it and um, even if it's a week long, I know that like our work is all year long and that one week really spotlights like the work that we've done and continue to do. So means a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's a week that, I mean, it's weird to be like, woohoo, it's Victims Rights Week. But <laughs> I do feel that way. Like it's a super special week. And yeah, to just kind of be like to reflect back on the last year of what we've accomplished to look forward to mm-hmm. the future. And also just take some time to care for ourselves. Yeah. To be like, this is heavy, hard stuff. So this is my week and I'm going to take a little break, a little self-care, whatever it is. (laughs) Yep. Yes. Yes. Well, it is always a delight to have you on here and to see you again. I'm excited to see you in person, hopefully soon. (laughs) Um, As you know, I like to close each show with a positive message to victims and survivors listening. So if you could share one parting thought to our listeners, what would it be? It would be to use your voice however you want, little by little on big platforms and just take back your power. Love it. Keep taking (laughs) it back. Well, thank you so much for being here, Taylor, and for all the work you're doing. I'm so excited to just continue to watch how you unfold and what you do with this world. whether you stay in this lane or other lanes is just totally up to you. And I'm excited to follow along. So thank you. (laughs) So that does it for us this week, my friends. Um, If you want to learn more about National Crime Victims Rights Week, you can go to the Vermont Center for Crime Victim Services page um, website, and you could also check it out on the OVC website. So if you have any questions, I'd love to hear more from you. You can always contact me, Anna, at standupresources.com. I'm your host for this bi-weekly, bi-weekly month and bi-monthly week and show, sorry there, um, <laughs> here on The Mend. So be well, stay strong, and thank you so much. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or feedback. We love hearing new topic ideas from listeners and watchers as well. Thank you for listening to The Mend and be well.